Hey everyone, welcome to the Text Lab. My name is David, I'm a pastor here at Vintage Grace. My name is Michael, also one of the pastors here at Vintage Grace. And in the Text Lab, our goal is to do a deep dive into the text to help you prep for life groups this week. Our goal is to help you make disciples who make disciples. So whether you're leading a life group or just trying to do some deep diving on your own, we hope the Text Lab helps you have meaningful conversations about what God has said in his word. This week is in John 1, 6 through 18. So let's get into it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming to the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people didn't receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. So when I come to a big text like this, I think one of the most helpful things to do is stay at a really high level. Maybe the 40,000 foot view instead of the 40 foot view. It kind of gives you a bigger perspective of what's going on in the text. And some of the most helpful tools as we read are to recognize the author's intent, the logic and flow in the text, and the big idea. These are really your friends as you read scripture. And so really lean on them. Try to trace the concepts that John is presenting in the flow of this poetic opening to his gospel. Logic is about how these ideas build on each other. It's the if this, then that of the text. The flow is how does the author move from one idea to the next. And the big idea is really what is this all building towards? Cumulatively, what is this all about? Yeah, and author's intent is woven in the entire time, right? The author had something in mind specifically when they wrote it. They had something they were trying to get people to understand. And it's really the only objective point of control when it comes to deriving the meaning of the text. Thank you, uh, Gordon and Fee. There's an awesome book. We're going to throw it in the show notes uh, called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. They talk about this idea of the objective point of control. What it means is, is that we run the big idea that we've arrived at after we do this logic flow stuff through the filter of John's overall intention with his gospel. You guys are going to so have this memorized by the time we're done with John. It is John chapter 20, verse 31, and it says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. So good. So let's check with logic. And the flow of this text with some guiding questions, kind of starting with who is John the Baptist in verse six through eight. Um, if you know anything about John, it, it, he's the cousin of Jesus. In the text, it doesn't actually even say John the Baptist here in John one, which I think is really important and kind of helpful because it shows that John um, isn't the main star of the show. He's just pointing to what is coming next. He's really the predecessor to Christ. He's just setting the stage for Christ, um, pointing to the light that is coming. He's not the light. He's just pointing to it. 
That's a great thought on those first few verses. And then as you move on to verses 9 through 13, something that we like to look for as we become self-feeders, meaning we read the text, can get stuff out of it for ourselves, is you want to look for what kind of words are repeated in these verses. So maybe even you could ask your group this week, what words are repeated in these verses, 9 through 13? What do they tell us about the main idea of the passage? The things you're going to be wanting to look for are stuff like word, light, life, truth. Those things are all throughout really this entire section of 1 through 18, but be looking for them in this area specifically, 9 through 13. Also, you might be worth drawing attention to the different ways that the light was received. That's going to be another theme in John's gospel, that there are people who saw the light and they rejected it. And there are people who saw the light and they became children of God. They actually believed in him and had their lives completely changed. So, Already, you're probably like, okay, that's that's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of things going on in this text, uh, and there's a lot more verses left. So, what do we do? Well, here's just a little tip that has helped with small groups that and life groups that I've been in is sometimes it's helpful when you get a big text like this to pick a spot in the text that links really well to the big idea, and then camp out there during your discussion. Yeah, totally. So, like for example, in this text, verse 14 is a good one to just really camp out in. Um, it kind of captures the ideas of all of John 1, 1 through 18. Yeah, you could literally spend the entire time of your life group in verse 14. And, and you really could because verse 14, one thing that's cool about uh, John 1 is it's a poem. And one of the ways that we know it is because of the chiastic structures. Okay, Bible nerd alert, guys. Just, this is the alert, okay? Be ready. Dave and I are both like this. We love words like chiastic structure, <laughs> but here's what it means. He's going he's gonna to let you know, and we're going to put it in the show notes. Totally. So it's, it's kind of this layout of the text that starts from the outside and kind of goes in and builds um, to the climax, to verse 14, which is really the heart of it, um, the main point of it, and then it kind of builds back out. And, and verse 14 is that, and so it's kind of the, the summary statement, the, the core of the whole idea is found there in verse 14. That's right. If you think of it kind of like uh, the greater than sign, you know how the alligator eats the bigger yeah. number? Imagine the bigger numbers on the left and the center is the middle. That's how chiastic structure kind of works, right? Just like he said, big ideas in the middle. Verse 14 is that. Uh, let me read it again for you guys. And then let's just kind of list off some of the ideas it presents. It says this in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory as of the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. There are like seven key ideas in this, in this one verse. All right, you've got the word, the flesh, the dwelt, us, seeing the glory of God, full of grace, full of truth. That's seven, if I'm counting right with my fingers. Look, each one of those things are key to the entire poem. They're key to understanding who Jesus is. They're key to understanding how Jesus did what he did. I mean, even just in this, you can see the word became flesh. You could just camp out in the concept of the incarnation all night with your people that God put on a bod and came to be in person with us. He put on flesh, dwelt. He dwelt among us. Literally, the presence of God was with mm. mankind in the person of Jesus himself. If you guys have been around VG for a while. Maybe you remember the Sukkot that we did, our little Feast of Booths back in Send Week in February. It, that idea there of dwelling is the same kind of word that's used to tabernacle. Mm. It's the presence of God on the earth when he was working that way through the temple. It's saying that the presence of God dwelt, tabernacled among us. 
You could even just think about the us part. Like, mm. isn't it crazy that God would come in his holiness and his goodness and be around sinful man that didn't even deserve it? That's mind-blowing in and of itself. The fact that we see his glory in him, that he made that accessible. In the Old Testament, when God showed his glory, man, people be dying. If the glory shows up, they're hitting the ground, they're hiding their faces. Moses, like, the dude's face shined after <laughs> spending time looking at God's glory. It's insane. And Jesus is the glory of God. We got to see it. These people got to see it in him. And he was full of grace, full of truth. Both those things together, so important. Ultimately, it's a long list of all these different things, but it's all pointing to the bottom line, which is this is Jesus. This is the identity of Christ. This is who he is. Believe in him and have life, true life that's found only in Christ. That's what 14 is kind of all about. Mm. So again, that's a great spot to hang out, great spot for conversation. But if you want extra credit or you're a completionist like myself, uh, which for the record, there's no extra credit with Jesus. Let's just clear that out. But (laughs) if you want it, Keep going with some more of these verses. Verse 15, uh, you've got more of John the Baptist's job description. And it actually might even be helpful to ask your life group, um, what do you notice about John the Baptist's job description in this text? You're going to see that his whole job, his whole point was just to point people to Jesus. One little maybe speed bump or rabbit trail or insert your metaphor and analogy here is um, we want to be aware of what uh, this guy named Brian Chapel calls the deadly bees, the deadly bees. No, not killer hornets from 2020, people. The deadly bees as is in B-E. Sometimes when we come to the text or a Bible study and we start trying to understand like one of the characters in it, like Abraham or David, no offense, David, uh, or Noah, we might think, hey, this is such a great example of how to live. We need to be like a David. I mean, the David sitting across from me is a great guy. And there's great (laughs) things about the David in the Old Testament. There's also some things he did that I would highly discourage you from doing. Go read the first or second Samuel. It's a blast. Here's the point. Sometimes we come to it and we try to say, hey, we should be like a John the Baptist. Go be like him. Go prepare the way for the Lord. Go just point everybody to Jesus. Is that a good thing to do? Absolutely. Is that the right theological application to derive from this text? Probably not. What John, the evangelist, the writer of this gospel is doing, is he's trying to talk about how John the Baptist came to point to Jesus because Jesus is the truth. The main idea is that Jesus is the truth, that he's the whole point of everything in all of creation. He's the centerpiece of all of it. Everything existed in him, can't exist without him. The point is he's the truth. But, oh yeah, it's not a bad thing to learn from how John the Baptist lived. He, his whole life did point to Jesus. I just don't think any of you need to go live in the wilderness, eat locusts and honey, and never cut your hair and wear camel skin, right? That'd be a little weird. But when we recognize the truth, kind of like John the Baptist did, when we recognize the truth, the way John the Evangelist is trying to get us to understand, we reorient our life around it. A lot like John the Baptist, but not because of John the Baptist.
Mm, so good, so good because of who Jesus is, mm-hmm. ultimately, which is which is the point of, of all of John one here. And so, even as you move then from fifteen, talking about who John the Baptist is, into sixteen and seventeen, we kind of get into this uh, point about grace upon grace upon grace. And so, um, John makes a, a statement here where the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Christ. And this can kind of even be another speed bump is our understanding of the law sometimes. And I think one thing that John is saying here is that the law was a form of grace, that it was provision for the people of God. It was protection for the people of God. It it revealed to them God's character. And ultimately, it was the sacrificial system that pointed to Christ who was going to fulfill that. And he talks about Jesus being grace upon grace upon grace and Jesus coming with both grace and truth. And so one question that I think would be really helpful to talk about in your group is just how do you see grace and truth working together in this text? How are both of those things being held together here as Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth? That's the the key to knowing God and knowing and believing in him. So good. That is Jesus. He's full of grace. Mm. He's full of truth. And even the law, like sometimes we look at it and there's some weird stuff in there about, you know, shellfish or it's endless, the things you could probably fit in there. But What we don't realize is even the law itself was this protection and provision for Israel, and it was a quantum leap beyond any other legal code in that day. Like Code of Amurabi, nothing on the law that God had laid out. And so that was grace, just like David said, and that works together in Jesus because he's the fulfillment of the law. Mm. So that's Jesus. Verse 18 very explicitly lays out for us that Jesus made the Father known to us. God had been revealing himself for since he began to create and mm-hmm. have people exist, right? He'd always been trying to reveal himself through creation. He had a relation with Adam and Eve. He called us people to be his own people. And now in the person of Jesus, we really see even more of the fullness of God's character, God's grace, God's truth, God's glory, his presence among us. And so I think we can take this big idea from a text like this that spells out the character of Jesus and come away with a great understanding of who Jesus is and who God is. And here's kind of the big idea from this text. Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth. That's the key to knowing God. That's the key to believing in God. That's the result of knowing the light and life of men. Like Jesus is God. He revealed him to us. And the grace and truth of Jesus are key to the good life that Jesus Mm. wants us to have. Which ultimately brings us back to this question that we're asking in this whole series is how does recognizing that Jesus is life, that Jesus is full of grace and truth, how does that kind of demand a complete reorientation of our lives, that truly only the good life is found in Jesus? And recognizing really what is the good life that Jesus wants for us um, versus the, the good life that's offered to us by the world. And so really kind of building around that about grace and truth, how do you see that playing out in your life even, Michael, about grace and truth? You know, when I, I think of it kind of like, uh, you guys remember when like flat earthers were kind of mm. trying to be cool or trying to say that's <laughs> right? Like, I don't know how that even happened. Uh, I like to joke about it with students a lot. I work with students and we, you know, joke about the flat earthers and the, and the round earthers. But really when people discovered that the earth was not flat and you wouldn't fall off the edge anymore, it reoriented the way that trade worked around the whole world. They realized they could actually go around the world or that they wouldn't fall off or just end up in the same countries that they thought they would. It revolutionized the world. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, the truth of Jesus is meant to revolutionize like our lives. And 
for me, when I think about Jesus being full of grace, Jesus being full of truth, that's his character, um, it really challenges me because sometimes I feel in myself the tension to want to correct people. Hmm. Uh, I've been told I'm one of those um actually people. You know what I'm talking about, David? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, 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 yeah he's, he's probably been um actually by me already. <laughs> you know, when someone brings something up, you're like, um, actually, this is what's true. Like, I have this terrible thing in me that wants to correct things that I think aren't true, even when maybe they are true. I sometimes have too much uh, confidence in my own thought of that. And admittedly, that is something God has had to work in my life. It's a growth edge, which is a comfortable way of saying sin. Uh, It's a growth edge in my life that Jesus has had to like break down. And part of the way he's done that is by me growing in my understanding of him and how he's shown me grace. I'm more wrong than any person I might think Mm -hmm. is wrong about anything. I've wronged him in so many ways. And yet he said, nope, I'm going to die for you anyway. Even though you don't love me yet, even though you don't know me yet, I'm going to do it. And he showed such grace in doing that, but he also told the truth. He told the truth about saying, Michael, you're sinful. Hey, this thing in you where you need to correct people, it's kind of bad. And you actually need to lay that down at my feet and give that up because I'm the truth. And you should give that up to me to handle. And so I've really seen the grace and truth of Jesus in my life as a way of kind of tearing down some of those things and some of those tendencies that I have to want to just be right. Um, I like to think of our good friends Townsend and Cloud, another book. Dude, the show notes this week are just going to (laughs) be book review notes. Uh, But Townsend and Cloud talk about how people grow in their book, How People Grow, through grace, truth, and time. And I think part of that is recognizing that, uh, you know, Jesus is really the truth that we need and People grow not because we correct them, not because we throw the right answer at them, but they grow with this mixture that God designed of grace, truth, and time. Mm-hmm. What about you? What, what, how would you apply that when you think about the fullness of yeah. uh, his grace and truth? Yeah. I think about this in kind of the send component as we think about like even John 14 of like Jesus came and dwelled with us and then even sends us out as kind of these mini Christs around the world to be kind of really incarnational presence in the same way that Christ came and dwelled with us is what does it look like as Christ was to be people full of grace and truth. And if the world, I think, needs something right now, it needs people who are full of grace and truth, people who can speak truth without shaming people, but then people who can uh, speak grace also without pleasing or enabling people. Hold up. Say that. You're going to have to say that again. Say that again, please. So, yeah, I think think one thing Jesus does is he speaks truth, but he doesn't shame people into Mm. that. He, He recognizes that they're made in the image of God at the same time he speaks truth to them. But then also he speaks grace to them, but it's not a grace that enables people to kind of go and live a relativistic life any way that you want. No, it's held together with truth. And so a lot of times you find people who either are all truth, no grace, or all grace, no truth. And and Jesus is kind of encompassing both of those things, grace and truth together at the same time. And I think that's really when people see uh, Christ in the world and in us will be as we walk in grace and truth to people so that we can have love for our neighbor um, who is yet to believe, yet we also speak truth to them um, because truth always changes your paradigm. It always changes your reality. Um, but people that hold both of that in the midst of this political season that we're in and in the midst of um, just a lot of things that are going on in our country, be people of grace and truth to show Christ to the world. Okay, somebody needs to pause the podcast and write that down. I had to pause my uh 
life and write that down. Okay, <laughs> truth without shaming, grace without pleasing. Mm. Dude, what a solid gold nugget, man. Love it, love it. Well, hey, if you guys are listening, thank you so much for spending your time with us. Our promise to you is that we're gonna do our very best to make this time valuable for you, the leader. So if this helped you in any way, hey, let us know. I got an email this week. Someone was like, hey, thank you so much. Keep them coming. So we love that encouragement. It fills us up, send some our way. Yep, and whether you're at the gym, mowing the lawn, driving, whatever you're doing while you listen to podcasts, we really hope you feel equipped, encouraged, and ready to walk through the text with your group this week and in your own discipleship to Christ. Mm, come on, yeah, and always do your own prep. You know, this is great. We want to have conversations, kind of model almost a mock life group in what we're doing here. But do your prep, let the Spirit lead you, read that room, and know this. You are one who is sent this week into your group into your family, into your Pray Watch communities, wherever God invites you to be the living proof of our loving God. Mm, Amen, man. So good. We love you guys. We'll catch you next time on the Text Lab.